Welcome to your weekly episode of Reset 42. The next minutes of this episode are like precious jewels we're sharing with you as we let you sit in on interviews with incredible guests who've been forced or chosen to reset the meaning of life. It all begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. When you smile at that neighbour across the street, you think that they're going through exactly the same things that you've been confronted today. Will that mortgage rate really come down so I can pay the house payments? And what does my boss really think about me at work? And did that girl really like me? Well, what if your neighbour's going through something quite different beyond the smile? What if their husband is waving a machete in their face? What if they're having to navigate raising eight children and bringing a smile to their life and helping them through school? This week on Reset 42, we're finding out about the life of Donna. Donna has had an incredible story to tell. She's reset, she's moving on towards her dream of becoming a teacher, and we're going to find out exactly how she navigated quite a massive reset. Now here's your host, a lover of lattes, liquor of lollipops, and on the odd occasion listener of Lana Del Rey, it's Andrew S. Pitchford. Welcome to Reset 42. This week we're speaking with Donna Jeremenko. Donna, thanks very much for joining us on the podcast. Now this may seem strange, we're doing this over the internet, the beauty of these online recordings. But we're both here in Brisbane enjoying pretty warm days at the moment, isn't it? Very warm, yes. <laughs> That's an and understatement. <laughs> that are looking at it, Celsius here in Australia, 42 degrees is planned for the next couple of days. I don't think we're going to be able to cope without visiting a nice air-conditioned shopping mall of some description. Yes, I agree. A Macca's restaurant, let the kids play, Yeah. <laughs> Hey Donna, uh, I want to tell an incredible life story and I know that there's quite a journey for you. Mm -hmm. Um, You're truly a survivor and we talk about Reset 42 being about the lives of people that have either survived or found solutions and I think you've done a lot of that along the way. What Mm. I want to talk about first of all is where did Donna's life begin? What was the early days like? Okay, I had a really good upbringing. Um, I was brought up in a Christian home. My parents were saved when I was very young Um, and then therefore I had the opportunity of going to a Christian school, grade 1 through to grade 12 and even continued my studies at a Christian university um, for two and a half years. Um, Yeah, very positive. My dad showed me everything right and worked hard for us and supported us as a family. Uh, When you were pursuing the study, what was the career path you were planning on? Um, teaching. I've always had a, a real passion for children and that was my avenue. I guess I chose, yeah, at that point. I wasn't, it's not teaching as a class, it's more individual children and working with those ones that are struggling. Now, it's interesting because one of the things we're going to discover about Donna is that she has an incredible nurturing mother Um, heart I guess we're going to talk about her own children and it's interesting to hear what your focus was for teaching as a career Mm. but tell me about kind of those early career times you were getting stuck into the study and then life did take a little bit of a reset what was happening yeah so um, everything was awesome Um, I was did I was doing really well I was up to two and a half years 
Um, and I ended up failing one of my subjects. So I decided to defer for six months because the uni recommended that and I was okay with that. And then I worked for six months in a deli. And during that time, um, I met a man um, who became my husband. Uh, yeah, it was a good time. And of course, that was my goal in life was to be a mother and have children of my own as well. Um, yeah, very quickly though, without me really realising at 19, my first boyfriend, um, my life began to change and, yeah, I had to give up uni altogether. So, yeah, it was a, a difficult journey during that time and I didn't talk to my parents for two years. Very well. I did talk to them but very rarely, yeah. It's interesting that um, our journeys have a little bit of a parallel. Yeah. Um, although I met uh, my wife Cheryl at a birthday party, most of our courting was her working in a deli as well, and it was a good excuse for me to pop in and partake of all the deli goodness that was yeah. there. <laughs> that conversation one day. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I understand one of the things we're going to be talking about in your journey is the fact that you went through a very difficult marriage that involved mm -hmm. you, involved your children. Yeah. So you describe for me what it was like, because this wasn't a short-term relationship. This ended up going for how many years? Uh, Twenty. 21 years, yeah. So 21 years is, is quite a life, um, and it's a big mm. portion of our life. So were there some signs that things were going wrong, or can you just take us on a bit of a journey of what happened over those 21 years? Yeah. So um, right from the beginning, um, and I only say this because I'm looking from an outside perspective now, when you're in it, it's different and you don't see things like that. Um, but there were signs right from the beginning of control and manipulation and physical, you know, m mistreatment. Um, when I was at uni for that little time that I did know him, he would come in every day and wait for me and I wasn't allowed to go out with my friends. Um, but at the time at 19, 20, you don't look at it like that. You just get all excited that you're in a relationship. Yeah. So, um, of course, that started clashing with my parents and he gave me an ultimatum and he said, well, it's our relationship or it's your parents. And of course, being in love like I thought I was, I decided to move out of home and finish uni. Yeah. And then I just I was working as in Woolworths as a cake decorator. So I just stayed doing that for full time. Yep. But during those two years, I wasn't allowed to contact my parents because obviously he was afraid that um, I would leave. And then we got to a point where I'd kind of had enough and I was hoping that um, it would finish, but I wasn't strong enough to leave either. So I suggested the marriage because I wanted to do things right because of my upbringing. And he agreed because... I guess it got to a point where he realised that I d couldn't take any more. So, yeah, we got married and I got married in the hope that things would get better. Yeah, and and I think through the whole marriage with each child, you do the same thing. You hope that things will get better. Um, unfortunately, through each child, it only gave him an avenue to do 
what he wanted to do. I was in hospital for that week and the more children we had, mum looked after them, so he had that week too. Yeah, so there was never um, support through labours and things like that. So, yeah, there were always signs. There was alcohol, pornography and drug abuse and that kind of ran through every six months. And what people will um, come to understand in, in Donna's journey is that this was a situation that ended up having a beautiful family of eight mm. children. Yeah. And obviously there's those eight stages, as you say, where you're in hospital, things are going wrong on the side. Did you find that he had any application to being a father, to looking after the children, or was he distant to the kids? How did that dynamic work at the time? Um, I was very much a part of their lives 80% of the time. Um, his time was when he wanted to or when we were at church and on show. Um, behind closed doors is always different. And, yeah, I took pride in looking after the house and cooking and the kids because that was who I was and what I wanted and also I had made a commitment to the marriage, so that's why I kept going yeah, and hoping that things would turn around at some point. And there were probably parts, you know, there would be days where he would be amazing and I would just wonder who was that person that I knew before. But, yeah, it always came back around. As a mother, it must have been incredibly difficult. You're receiving basically, I guess we call it psychological or mental abuse in the relationship, mm -hmm. physical abuse that's there. Did mm -hmm. the children suffer in terms of any abuse through the situation? Um, there were times, yes, where he would be um, in a disciplined mode and it would be, yeah, way over what I... Um, but I was always told to sit down and be quiet and that was always safer when I stood up and defended it ended up ugly so I ended up just staying quiet um, I think the biggest part and the point where I decided enough was enough was when Tia my oldest was getting older and he I think he saw that she was starting to make decisions on her own and that you know for him was a big issue because he was liked to control everything and that's where yeah he started physically um, abusing her and that was yeah that was really hard to watch especially for a, a girl coming into you know womanhood and you know you've got to have respect for that side of them it's really hard because even good dads make mistakes and and mm. you know we so much better for our kids but to have the opposite of that which is a vacuum that a child doesn't see the love or, or the right parenting and can be obviously heartbreaking mm. you finally i guess found the courage i'm guessing that there were times when you tried to move out or you tried to, to kind of disconnect but finally there was a decision how long ago was that and, and how did it take place um four years ago I'm almost to the day at the beginning of November. Um, we'd been talking for <clears throat> a few months off and on because I was really struggling with the relationship and I was due to have another baby. And I just knew, yeah, I just couldn't do it anymore and I didn't want to 
have another child because I knew it would just be too much for me. I just kind of got to a point where my, um, what can you say, my love tank was empty, you know, and everything I had I was giving to the kids. So we'd been talking for a few months and he was becoming angrier. Um, and then we just got to a point one night I'd taken um, my number six child to the hospital and she'd gotten quite sick and I had Eli as a baby and I took the four girls to the hospital and we didn't get back until after midnight and I remember Tia saying to me, at least we don't have to listen to Dad arguing tonight and I said, yes, you know, everyone should be in bed. So we got everyone out of the van, um, put them in their beds as you know, we did every night. And um, he got really angry and shut the door, turned the light off and went to the cupboard. And I knew what was in the cupboard. And um, Right now I'm sitting on the edge of my seat, teetering with expectation listening to this episode and wanting more. If you feel the same, then sign up for our email newsletter at www.andrewpitchford.com forward slash reset 42. Yeah, so he got his machete out and started threatening me with it and telling me that I had to stay because I had children to look after and I'd made a commitment to a marriage. Um, punched a hole in the wall, um, slapped me around a few times with the blanket and going back just a day, I'd actually gone to a place called Waves in Woodridge and they'd given us a escape plan. And so my daughter and I had talked about that and she was to send a blank message to her auntie if she was ever concerned. And yeah, she heard all the, what was going on and so she sent that message to her auntie that night and her auntie sent back already you know it was kind of like we've just organized this is it already happening and tia was yes and she came to the door to see if she could hear anything and he had heard her so i'm actually grateful though because it was at that point he put the machete away and you know he had to go out and see what was going on so he went out noticed that she had her phone in her hand, grabbed it out, asked her who she'd called, asked for the PIN number. She said no, and then he smashed her phone, pulled me out of the room. And I remember just collapsing on the floor, just looking at Tia, just saying, if nothing happens at this point, that's it. You know, I just expected to die that night. I just... And she just looked at me and she said, Mum, I'm sorry, you know, I've rung, I don't know what's happening. Um, at that point we heard a, a car and we were kind of hopeful for that second that it was the police, but it wasn't. Um, and then in a matter of seconds, the police turned up at the door and he refused to open it. Um, one of the other kids came, he said that he didn't have the keys. One of the other kids came out and said, Dad, I've got the keys, and of course he didn't expect that. So the door was opened, and um, yeah, we were each taken away for interviews. 
And um, they were about to let him back in and then the lady police officer I was talking to said, no, he's not to go back in the house. And we had, they took him away and we had two hours to pack. Um, that's as long as they can hold him. Yeah. That journey obviously set in motion a whole series of events that have now seen you come out and supporting your family on your own. Mm, yeah. You exactly what's been happening now. But in terms of your ex-husband, there was another shock that came later on as well. Mm. He obviously pursued his own life. Yeah. And then some more news. Yeah, so um, he went back to New Zealand on the 1st of December 2015 and we didn't hear from him for three years. Um, didn't He didn't support me in any way. We didn't hear from him. We didn't see him. Um, there was a cousin's wedding, well, the children's cousin, um, in November on the 11th, and Tia wanted to go over because she grew up with those two older ones. So I reluctantly set, allowed her to. I mean, she's old enough to make her own decisions. And um, she went over with a lot of anxiety. She has anxiety now. And um, he was at the wedding and she, he didn't talk to her for the whole night. Um, and somehow oh, she got up the courage to go and say hi. And um, I'm glad because she's got a lot of healing now and that was the beginning of her healing. So that was on the 11th and she came back and... She was a little bit angry at me, of course, because of the discussion that she'd had with her dad. And that's okay. Um, I let her go. And, you know, it was really hard, though. And then two weeks later, on the 28th, um, I received a phone call at night. And um, he'd been hit by a car and it died instantly. And then I had to um, tell my kids and that was really hard because, you know, f for three years we'd heard nothing. And then this happened and um, so I kind of felt like I was living outside of my body. It was a really bizarre feeling. And, you know, when you leave in 2015, um, that was the same scenario, you know, for weeks. I just remember feeling like I wasn't living my life. It was just such a weird. Freedom is not instantaneous by any means. You, you think that it is when you're deciding to make that decision, but no, it's, it doesn't work like that. You know, now we've got to deal with the 21 years that, you know, effect that it had on us myself and covering everything from the kids and then as they get older it's harder to cover things um, unfortunately that night the two little ones were in the room so they remembered a little bit even though they were sleeping um, and then I had Tia you know in this situation where she'd just seen him and then this happened um, and just this week I received the coroner's report and that was another 
oh, just reliving the whole situation again and reading what actually happened that night and going through the interviews. And and I wondered if I should read it, but you know what? It's It's been a closure, and I believe God's taking me through that journey of closure because, you know, there's another season coming, and I can't have things from my past that, you know, need closure before I start this new season because, yeah, I think it's important. It's a part of the healing and, you know, I've been supporting these children for four years totally on my own and I've got to do that for them. You know, that's my job. No matter the situation, I was still meant to be their mum. God knew what was going to happen. Can I just talk about that for a moment? Because you need to give yourself the freedom to heal and grieve yourself because Mm. you're grieving a relationship lost. Yeah. Grieving dreams lost. Yeah. And at the same time, you're trying to allow an environment where eight children can do the same. Yeah. How have you done that? Is it inner strength? Is it support networks? Because that's such a burden to carry. Um, it's more, I don't have a great support network. I do have good parents, um, but they've also allowed me to heal in my own way. And it is an inner strength. Um, I believe it's the way I've been brought up. It's something that, you know, dad said to always said to me, just keep going, just keep going. And that's what I've always done. Um, in terms of dealing with the kids during this, I've allowed them all to deal with it in their own way. A lot of people would probably ridicule my mother's, my mothering style and that's okay. Until you're in that position, you know, you really can't make a judgment. Each child's different and you have to respect that for them. They need to heal in their own way. Um, you know, Tia's the oldest, so she's and she's experienced the physical side of abuse and the emotional. So she's got her way of healing. Um, Trey didn't experience as much because he was a very quiet boy, really good um, in terms of just stayed in his room and did as he was told. And at that time, he actually had just purchased an Xbox, so that was his focus. <laughs> And um, through counselling and stuff, they've said that was actually, it's actually been a positive for him because he's found an outlet for himself, which is awesome. Um, Nawai, she didn't experience a lot, a little bit. Now, that's five years ago. She, she was only 10. And I, from that point on, in terms of children, I've got to be grateful for their ages and being able to rebuild at a young age, yeah. Um, Benjamin, he's 13 and he's been my most challenging and he adored his dad, um, had all the time in the world for him, but unfortunately his dad didn't. So that's a process now that, you know, we're we're currently looking at. I'm trying to help him through, but he's got to go through his own way too. I can't force anything. 
The four little ones, I didn't tell them of their dad's passing until after school had finished because I just wanted them. Um, Olivia, she's nine. She has anxiety. But this year she's actually starting to strengthen and it's it's so good to watch. She's very in tune with me. Um, she just notices when I'm not right, even as much as you smile. Yep, she's one of those kids that's, Mum, are you okay? Mum, do you want a coffee? You know, just, yeah. And Ari is the same. Um, yeah, so those last four, they're probably my little buddies the most of all because they've clung on to me knowing, yeah, what I'm struggling with. And the older four, I've got to let them go and heal and just be here for them when they're ready to talk. And I never, no matter the questions, I never deny them an answer. I just do it at their age and go from there. It's not always easy. You have to answer honestly. So, When you came out of that situation, how long was it before you started to think to yourself, I need a new plan, I need a new vision? You know, I guess in some ways it was like emerging from a cloud. Mm. Um, yep, I know the exact point, and that was July 2018. I Yeah, I just got to a point where... I felt God say to me, Donna, you've come this far. It's time to keep going because I was in a mode where I picked up a few cleaning jobs and I was going back into that comfort zone, you know, of routine and just doing things because I had to. And I just felt God challenging me to say, nah, there's more for your life. Let's go. Um, yeah, so I started looking into um, teaching again. And like I said before, I don't want to teach a class. I want to teach individual children or smaller groups, you know, ones that are struggling because I see the system and now that I've learned a year of all the protocols and I see where children become a number because they don't fit into the box that, you know, the education department gives so, yeah, in July I just I sat down and I had to write a 1,500-word essay and that was, wow, after 20 years. <laughs> um, and I just wrote from my heart, you know, a little bit about what I'd been through, a little bit about what I want to achieve for my children and therefore, you know, for other children and other families and let them know that, you know, it's, it's not the end whatever you're going through is never the end. There's always a time to reset, you know, as you say, it's, it's that point of that light bulb moment, just like when a child learns to, you know, go potty, it's the light bulb moment that you get. You struggle with them for months sometimes, but they get it one day. And that's the same with us, you know, as adults, one day we get it and it's like, the fog lifts and you just go, okay, it's now or never. I've got to make a move. It's really good even as we're doing this interview and, and if you're listening on the Reset 42 podcast, you're listening to an audio, you're hearing the emotion in Donna's voice. And But the two of us are actually doing this by video and I can see as you've walked through the life moments, there's been heartache there. Mm. But when you talk about moving into the teaching and that light bulb moment, your face lights up. Yeah. A, a sign that 
our inner self, I guess our heart is actually moving in the right direction. Mm. What other have you kind of been able to reset and I guess look at afresh considering putting the 21 years in the past and looking at things for new? Yeah. Um, so in July, I did my uni and um, was waiting to be accepted and I got accepted and I kind of went, okay, now I've got to get back out with people because I had 20 years of a very sheltered life. Um, we weren't allowed to have many friends and if we did it was very restricted so I spoke to one of the ladies in my DV group um, and she suggested to me a couple of groups on Facebook and she said you don't have to do anything you don't it's not a dating it's just a matter of finding new friends and I was like okay awesome I'm gonna do this and wow, it's scary, um, especially when you turn up and there's only a couple of you. It's like, should I have done this? And the first couple, I took my children with me and then they allowed some, yeah, just so that you could have time out without your children. Um, yeah, so in August, I went to one um, and it was quite a big one and I actually met a really lovely man and we just sat down and started to connect and I remember coming home that night and just saying to God, man, am I ready to do this? Because it really is, um, you know, I've got quite a package that comes with who I am. So, you know, to be brave enough and step out, yeah, that's, it takes a lot. And, you know, just having my confidence, just building it all back up again and just saying, I'm okay. I'm worthy of being, you know, Donna again. I don't have to be just a mum or just a wife. I'm Donna. I am still a person. Um, yeah, so we started chatting and, you know, it started getting a bit serious and I just was, I got a bit scared and, you know, I was just like, wow. And then he came in and met the kids and, you know, so a whole nother season starts. And the whole time I think I'm just praying every morning, you know, God, you've got to help me because this is, you know, a big deal. Um, yeah, and then so going down the track a bit, um, we got to May. So we'd been dating for about nine months and um, he was struggling a bit, went to the doctors and he actually got diagnosed with um, a brain tumour, uh, stage four. And I remember just coming home, like just crying all the way to the hospital and then crying all the way back. And I just said, Lord, why give me a relationship that's going to crash again? You know, like I looked at all the negative sides of at that point. I just went, you know, why? But um, he went and did treatment and he was doing really well and in October we went back to the doctors and there was another larger tumour and now he's been given less than 12 months to live. And I have been through so much torment in the past few months. It's I can't even explain. It's a different hurt from what I went through before. But God just said to me, you know what, you've seen a good side of love. And I've got to trust that now. He, you know, Cam treated me with respect. He took me out on dates. 
He sent flowers. He treated my children like they were his own. We did things together. And those were all the things that I missed in 20 years. And, you know, I just said, you're right. You know, I was talking to God and I just said, that's right. At least I've experienced something and I know that there's hope. I don't, I'm not one of those people that puts men in a box and go, they're all horrible. I'm not one of these people who say that's it for my life. There's more, you know, like I remember, this is going back a bit, when we were at school we did a Christian studies class and we had to present our testimony in a church. And I remember at 16, 17 going, I don't even have a testimony. But God showed me then even, you do, you have a testimony even at this point with a good life and everything working. And now I just look at my story, which is like a book, and I just go, yep, you've brought me here, Lord, because there's other people that they don't have those benefits. They don't have that good upbringing, you know, and they are genuinely stuck and need help and guidelines and support. And, you know, if I had to go through all that for that purpose, well, then let's go. And I look at this reset thing, Andrew, Reset is a daily thing. It really is. Every morning I have to get up and read. Every morning I have to set my mind to be positive. I have to do it every morning. The days that I don't, I notice and I go, you know what, I didn't start my day right because far out things are just crashing around me. And I go back. But God didn't say, because you didn't do that at 6 o'clock this morning, I'm going to. So I do it then, I just sit down and I go, okay, Lord, thank you for today. Can you just please make sure that you can let me know that you're with me because I'm really struggling today. So resets, yeah, there's big points in your life, but resets daily, it really is. It's something that, you know what, I can't do this day without God. I have to do it have to do it as a daily thing and I have to recommit each day into his hands because, you know, I don't have the strength to do what I've been through and go through each day. I don't have that as a physical person. Um, I do need his support. So, yeah. It's an amazing story. I think we can recognise that you had beautiful parents who modelled love, pointed you in the right direction. But sadly, life went off track for 21 years. And I can imagine there was a lot of times of second-guessing, asking why, and wondering if it would ever come right. Mm. Sadly, it was a series of circumstances that brought some tragedy, some heartache, but Mm. you are on the right track again. Mm. And the good thing is you've had somebody like Cameron who's been able to model love again to remind you of what it should be. Mm, yeah, and then the open possibilities and we've said that Reset 42 is not a model, it's an opportunity Yeah, and you've opportunities and you've grabbed them mm. I really like how you said that Reset's daily one of the things I was looking at just yesterday was a verse in 2 Corinthians 4 and it says though our bodies are dying our spirits are being renewed every day yeah, definitely it's really powerful. sometimes we yeah. feel like Life is hard and it seems to go on and on and on. Mm. But if we can 
grasp of how God is wanting to give us new purpose, new grace each and every day. Yeah. That the, that's the momentum we need. That's the reason we need to do what you've done, grab the next opportunity. Yeah, definitely. From here, Donna, what does around the corner for you? Um, I've actually decided to defer for six months just with what I've been through with for the past six months. And just my little boy is starting school next year. So I thought I'm just going to give myself six months. Um, I'm actually doing volunteer work with the church that we've been going to. Um, just refocus all over again and just um, have a relax because study was just huge this year. Like, yeah, way more than I expected. Um, I don't think you can really anticipate how much it is. Uh, and I just saw, you know, I was at uni all day and then I came home and I was at uni and on my desk all night. So, yeah, I really feel like I just need to give my six months just to start again. You know, I, with this stuff that's just happened with Cameron, um, getting the coroner's report from my ex-husband, battling with my 13-year-old and the challenge that he's, you know, going through at the moment. I just need that time out just to spend probably, you know, it's a little bit of self-care as well in investing into, you know, not that I've not invested into my family this year, but just doing that and just spending that time, you know, going, okay, where are we going now as a family? Because I guess meeting Cam, I had the hope of, um, you know, things starting again and it's and that's okay. I've come to that, you know, God showed me something different. And so now I'm just going to spend six months volunteering too because I believe that it's good to focus on other people while you're going through things. It's a real healing process um, there's so many people struggling. There's a story behind every face that you see. You know, I know of all people, you can put on a smile. You could do that for years. And, you know, there's other things happening. So, yeah, just to get in there. I can't afford much time because of, I've got a big family. But that time that I can do in my volunteer work, yeah, I'm hoping that can make an impact if I can help someone through something. And I think too, when we go through things, that allows us to be a testimony to that person. They're not going to listen as intently if we haven't been through anything. You know, they'll just look at you and go, well, you know what, you don't understand because you haven't been through it. But, you know, if I can help someone that's going through DV or going through an Ill, you know, a terminal illness, the little bit that I've been through, yep, I can help them. So, yeah. Donna, it's been brilliant just to get to know your story and to see the hope that's come into your life. Um, I think one of the great principles that you've used a couple of times in your life as far as a reset is that you have given yourself space, mm -hmm. uh, whether it's preparing studies or anything like that. And I hope that doorways continue to open for you and look forward to catching up in the future. Yeah, thanks, Andrew.
none of us know when life may need a reset, but I hope this episode is one you can keep where you need it or share with someone who does. Join us for our next Reset 42 episode by subscribing wherever your podcast love lives. Visit us online to share the episode. Show notes can be found under the rock where we hide our house key at www.andrewpitchford.com forward slash Reset 42.